Artsville, Artsville, the happening town where art abounds. Artsville, Artsville, from Asheville town where art abounds. Artsville, Artsville, feeling mountain high and inspiring North Carolina. That's where you'll find us, amazing artists and designers. Oh yeah, Artsville from Asheville. Welcome to Artsville, the podcast that celebrates. American Contemporary Arts and Crafts from Asheville and Beyond. This is the podcast where you'll learn how Asheville, North Carolina has become Artsville. I am your faithful host, Sourdough, a.k.a. Scott Power, and I am joined today by my lovely and brilliant co-host, Louise Glickman. Hey, Louise. Hey, Scott. Getting to you from the east side of the country. (laughs) From the East Coast to the West Coast, we are uh, national in scope, and we love our artists no matter where they live. But this particular podcast celebrates artists uh, in and around Asheville, North Carolina, and you are spearheading our efforts uh, there uh, on the front lines in Asheville. And, And so I'm just grateful that we have joined forces to elevate and celebrate Uh, the amazing artists that make Asheville uh, Artsville. So it's so great to be together. And today we have a a really special episode to talk about an amazing organization and an amazing executive director who runs it, uh, Kate Pett. And, you know, so here we are. I mean, we get to help uh, Kate and Thrive tell their story today. Well, one of the things I'm thrilled about is this organization shares in some way the same mission as Artsville, which is to help emerging artists and to help artists to have a platform to sell their work and to understand the business of art. We're perfectly aligned, of course, with Not Real Art and Crew West, which is why we're partners. But today, the story we're going to share relates to something I think a lot of cities are struggling with which is how do you support your artists with housing, affordable rents, affordable studio rents in particular? How do you reach into diverse markets to give them platforms both regionally and nationally? And tourism, of course, Asheville's a hot place to visit, but sustainable tourism. How does that affect artists? Because if artists can't afford to live and work here, they're very much a part of Asheville's vibe. So, I mean, we have the great outdoors, we have great food, we have lots of beer, but we have found through studies that Asheville has more artists and is the largest collection of artists really in the country, in a dense area, meaning basically our downtown and our river arts district. Yes. Well, what's happening and unfolding there in Asheville is actually, you know, unfolding in a lot of places around the country. You know, here in my backyard in Los Angeles, we have similar issues with gentrification. 
you know, so-called progress coming in, you know, new construction, new business, new new services and new rents because the rent goes up and up and the people that lived, you know, in the community suddenly can't afford uh, to live there anymore. And, uh, you know, the joke here, sad joke here in LA is that, you know, the so-called arts district doesn't have any artists anymore. You know, they just can't afford to live there anymore. They've been priced out. And so gentrification is a very real issue growth is exciting. We need it, right, for our economy and our tax base and so on and so forth. We love those tourism dollars and taxes. However, you know, there's a cost to be paid, you know, downside to the upside, if you will. And, you know, artists are often the ones that are sort of left out in the cold and have to find new studios and find new places to live. And and organizations like Thrive there in Asheville and Kate, I mean, they're on the front lines, right, of trying to find mutually beneficial compromises, bringing people together to talk about these issues, which is more challenging than ever. It's challenging in the best of times, let alone when we happen to be find ourselves in a time in history in our country where, you know, maybe people don't like talking about difficult issues or, or compromising on difficult issues. But people like Kate, who are leading the charge, are so, so wise, smart, emotionally intelligent and collaborative and very effective in their work. And I know it's a long process, and Kate talks about that a bit, that these things don't happen overnight, but it takes that sort of faithful vigilance and rigorous diligence and, and dedication to chipping away at these big problems. Well, one of the things that I feel strongly about Kate Pett and also Kim McGuire, who is a community activist who has been very involved in arts management organization and community development, is how they've gone about this. Now, I hail from New Orleans, and I've been involved in arts and tourism for a long, long time. So I have faced issues of sustainable tourism for years. I just came back from New Orleans. Their arts sector is booming absolutely booming. And what I've seen happening there is something that I think Kate points to here, which is new neighborhoods that open up and take arts, embrace it, and build all of the sort of visionary things and the tips they've learned from past history and brought them way down into neighborhoods because the artists move. So this becomes, in a way, a development tool. In our case, where I actually live is just a little bit, well, right on the other side of the Asheville city line. And this is where the artists are going to be able to afford to live for the time being. We don't have galleries here. And we're not prepared for their coming. So there's two sides to this story. One is how they're going to exist where they are. And two, how are we going to prepare other neighborhoods to expand on the arts opportunities? What I like about Thrive is they, I feel like they've gotten in here just a little bit before the curve. And they have brought very diverse people together, both with community leadership, some that you would expect to be in a discussion like that, 
but very have also reached deep into the Arts Council or the Leaf Festival, which is a bicultural festival here full of music, arts, and excitement. They've brought the Tourism Commission into this. The Tourism Board is, of course, the group that has the most money. They have changed their focus and then mission to focus on bringing more BIPOC artists and tourism into the Asheville scene. And they're sitting in these committees. They've been brought to the table by Thrive. And that is so critical to the discussion. And so tourism, more money is now going into community projects, including this. More money is going into the neighborhood outlying areas, like our area in Candler, where the artists may be moving in the future. The affordable housing, they have come up with a voucher program, and in one year's time, they have supported over 50 families in affordable housing and 50 families with over 100 children, which is very critical to our future. And they have partnered for stewardship so that the people in the community get more involved with Thrive and know about these programs. And of course, that's what we're giving them in this podcast. So Thrive will be able to use this podcast to tell their story and expand on it. Well, and that's a wonderful gift that we love to give, right? Helping amplify people's stories, artists' stories, organizations, elevate them and help boost their missions and help them tell their stories. So, you know, I guess without further ado, we should maybe get into this wonderful conversation we have with Kate. What do you think? I think it's time. And I love her. I love, she's very organized and she's funny. So enjoy this time with Kate and learn more about how Asheville can possibly help your communities as well. Well, that sounds great, Louise. Thanks so much for helping me set this up. And without further ado, let's get into this fantastic conversation with Kate Pett of Thrive. Kate Pett, welcome to Artsville. Hey, Scott. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, it's well, the honor is all ours. You know, Thrive is doing such important work. We wanted to have you on to help elevate and celebrate all the great work you guys are doing. Well, it's such a pleasure. And I'm thrilled to be talking about the arts sector because Asheville wouldn't be what it is without such a vibrant uh, art scene. And this podcast is aptly named because Asheville really is Artsville. So how many years now have you been in Asheville? I've been in Asheville for more than 20 years. I actually moved to North Carolina and uh, moved out east where it was mostly hog farms and blueberry fields. But uh, my husband, who's a musician, kept dragging me up here to Asheville every weekend that he could because we really needed a (laughs) dose of arts and culture. And we did that for about two years until it was so clear that Asheville was really where we wanted to be all the time. And so back in 2000, a couple like us, an artist and somebody working in nonprofits could actually move up to Asheville in a weekend and find jobs and buy a house. And of course, that's all changed now. But we feel so lucky that we we got here when we did. Well, and that 
level of change, right, for over 20 some years, you know, it's, you know, in my experience anyway, right, it's not completely unique to Asheville. It seems this growth and this, you know, shall we call it gentrification is happening, you know, in cities all over the country. And of course, Asheville is no exception. I mean, can you paint a picture for us for, you know, what was Asheville like 20 years ago versus what it's like today? Yeah, that's such a great question. You know, I think that the feel of Asheville was quirky and artsy as it is now. And it felt like an accessible art scene that really invited people to participate. I think as Asheville has experienced so much rapid growth, you know, some of that has really stayed. But some of the the more challenging impacts of rapid growth have made that challenging as well. I mean, one of the great things that's happened as a result of the growth is that earnings in the creative sector have almost doubled in the last 10 years. So there's many more artists here, and more of them are actually making a living than ever before. But of course, the downside is, is that the cost of living is, has skyrocketed and has outpaced their increase in earnings. So, you know, Asheville, I think, is feels like it's at a tipping point to many locals. I think we wonder whether or not we can preserve this special place that we have and balance the benefits of growth with uh, some of the challenges. And that's really Thrive's mission is to, to look at that question about how we steer growth rather than just have it kind of run all over us. Well, that's the planning part of urban planning, right? right? <laughs> and it's, you know, it feels like so many times the planning is after the fact. <laughs> I, at least, you know, speaking for my own uh, experience with uh, living where I live, you think, my goodness, you know, the money comes, people get excited about the money, and then they think about the implications or the unintended consequences later. And you think, boy, oh boy, wouldn't it be nice to have had a, a thoughtful phase of planning and design, bringing the stakeholders together to discuss the various needs and wants and agendas and try to reconcile the competing interests. And as I understand, that's, I mean, that's what Thrive's trying to do, right? Thrive is bringing together the various stakeholder groups and trying to work together in a thoughtful, considered way to come together and reconcile and find a, a mutually beneficial compromise. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Asheville is really blessed with an incredible number of talented people who are also really caring people, not just our arts sector, but particularly our arts sector is very socially involved and really committed to building a community where more people in our community can thrive. But I think, like you said, you know, whether it's a feature of modern life or whether it's particular to Asheville, despite the opportunities to work together too often, we're working in silos rather than collaborating or competing. So as a result, there is really this uh, sense that we can't kind of connect the dots and solve the really big problems and that we haven't really agreed upon a shared vision for our future. So Thrive's mission is to bring together people across lines of difference, to forge new relationships, and to learn about our biggest challenges and act on those solutions together. We really understand, and I think this is something that the arts community really encapsulates so well, that it's really about connection. You know, we have to be connected, and whether we're connecting with people we work with or connecting with our neighbors, all of that kind of connection is what makes for a robust community where everyone can thrive. 
So in our run up to today's conversation, it, it came to my attention that, you know, in terms of your journey and your experience, at one point you were a community organizer. Does that mean like another community organizer I read about? Does that mean you're going to run for president someday? <laughs> Definitely not. This is as political as I want to get. And, you know, I think the community organizing I did really contributed to me believing that working across sectors was so important and that really working on holistic solutions is the way that we ensure each sector really thrives. Before I did this, I worked in our in an education foundation here in town and one of our key groups was a local artist in residency program that worked in our schools. You know, artists here have made such a profound investment in our youth and in passing on both their technical skills, but also their love of collaboration and community. So here in Asheville, we've had no problem getting artists to participate in artists in residencies in our classrooms and also to providing really enriching after-school programs. So my community organizing helped me really get connected to these groups who were eager to connect with all of our kids and for bigger reasons than just one sector. Well, you even worked in the Peace Corps, right? I and mean, for a while, isn't that where you met your husband? It's true. Yeah, my husband and I were both in the Peace Corps and we were both teachers when we came back. And that's how we connected was I was actually a teacher in inner city Detroit. He was a teacher in inner city Baltimore. And corny as it is, we met at a conference. And I'll tell you, one of the first things he told me about himself was that he was a musician. And I wasn't too sure about musicians at the time, but I married him anyway, because he wrote me a great song. So what can I say? There is no perfect person, Kate. I mean, we know this, right? right. We, it's... That's right. Exactly. Well, so talk a little bit about it, you know, and I'm, and I'm just so fascinated, you know, in terms of your journey and how you got here, but talk a little bit about how your time in the Peace Corps, and you already referenced, you know, some of your experience as a community organizer and how that's maybe helped you, but specifically, you know, during your time in the Peace Corps, what were some of the learnings and skills that are helping you today? Yeah, I think I lived in Mali, West Africa, and also Sierra Leone, West Africa, and in the Philippines. And, you know, what I learned working in all of those places, you know, really to reference art specifically is that um, all of these different cultures and places really integrate arts into the fabric of everyday life. And that the art that I saw in those places really was really part and parcel of building community. It was uh, an opportunity to pass down stories and to reinforce moral lessons and to um, help create community. And I think that kind of like holistic view about how we need to really create community by involving all aspects of the community is something that has really shaped my work since then. I'll say that the I never intended to go into education, which was my first career after the Peace Corps, but I was so moved, you know, by the way in which education really shaped the entire community and really helped the community take its next steps forward. And, and that's what made me want to come back and work in this country and in the communities I care about to try and use education as a real opportunity to create a stronger community. You know, bringing these various stakeholders together 
to talk about their various needs, you know, within the context of Thrive's mission. You know, my guess is that artists in Asheville aren't too dissimilar from artists in other cities in that they are probably challenged to find affordable housing. And I'm wondering what work Thrive is doing today to help artists in Asheville find affordable housing. Yeah. So Thrive is really working on two big issues right now. And one of them is affordable housing. I would say that in both of our strategies, working on the lack of affordable housing and the future of sustainable tourism, both of those issues, it's really essential that we look at them kind of by zooming out, that both of these problems are interrelated and we can't really talk about affordable housing without talking about how we talk about sustainable tourism. In our affordable housing work right now, we're really focusing on how we can ensure that we keep our affordable housing stock locally owned and accessible to people who live in our community. You know, not only is the lack of affordable housing really pushing out artists, but because our region has, you know, a lack of kind of high paying jobs, we have some of the lowest social mobility in the country. So our art sector is really struggling with the lack of affordable housing, but our community is also really losing some of the rich diversity that is contributed to diversity in the arts and made living here so special. So we're really looking at affordable housing as part of the larger question and conversation about how to create tourism and to make it more sustainable into the future. So I can imagine and speculate as to what some of the wants and needs or preferences might be for the different stakeholders, you know, whether it's artists looking for affordable housing or for out-of-towners wanting to come and buy a second home or developers, you know, wanting to obviously, you know, build a new property that is going to bring more tourism. You know, can you break down for us, you know, who the stakeholders are that you're working with and sort of their set of needs and wants and sort of how these sort of compete with each other? Yeah, you know, our affordable housing work is, you know, really looking at the whole continuum of the challenge from production. So we know that we really need to just in general produce a whole lot more housing. And we have to do that by working with developers, like you said, but we have to make sure that the housing that's created is accessible. So for instance, there was a project proposed a couple of years ago that would have actually created a designated space for artists and featured artists' work in that affordable housing that was going to be constructed. But interestingly enough, the community didn't have enough information, and there was a lot of nimbyism that pushed back on the very development of housing that would have benefited artists who needed that housing. So production is complicated, and one of the things that we need to do is we need to help the community understand the need for more production on the end of housing. Kind of the other end of the spectrum is how do we use the housing that we have and make sure that it stays affordable and stays accessible. There's lots of different ways to do that. It's everything from repairing old structures, which helps us preserve architecture and keeps our region feeling like unique and kind of we have beautiful architecture here. So it's a really important piece of keeping Asheville special. We also need to preserve legacy neighborhoods. So Asheville has a small 
group of you know black residents and that group is is really diminishing as our cost of living increases and as neighborhoods that used to be affordable get less so we're really facing a lot of gentrification so we're looking at how can we help legacy residents stay in our community and there's lots of things there like rent support and ways that legacy residents, um, particularly our black and brown residents, can have pathways to home ownership. So we're really looking at the whole spectrum because we know that solving affordable housing is really a complex problem that requires a complex solution. Mm, that's fantastic. So as a NGO or nonprofit 501c3 in Asheville, I mean, there are many, right, nonprofits in, in the Asheville area. So you and your team, I'm guessing, has created Thrive to fill this need that maybe other nonprofits maybe weren't addressing because every, you know, every nonprofit has their own unique mission. How is there an opportunity for you to work with the other nonprofits uh, on these issues? Are you working with, you know, we talk about working with developers and artists and, you know, the various stakeholders, but are you also working with uh, some of your colleagues in other nonprofits? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we call Thrive a collective impact initiative. And if you can picture like arrows pointing in all different directions, that's what some of our efforts look like on these issues right now. You know, when we talk about housing or whether we're talking about tourism, there's lots of different groups and the arrows of their work are pointing in all different directions. So the sum of our work is not greater than our individual parts. So what we know is that if we can link these groups together and coordinate their work so they're headed in the same direction, then the sum of our work adds up to be so much more than what we can do individually when we're all pulling in the same direction and, you know, filling gaps and working towards shared goals. So Thrive is doing that in lots of different ways. In the housing space, we're linking local government, developers, longtime residents, people experiencing real economic challenges, artists, putting all those folks together around the table so that we're designing solutions together. When we talk about the future of tourism, I think our role here has been so critical because for too long, the conversation about tourism has really had a, a unique and kind of special lane that hasn't been integrated with all of the other voices that need to be around the table. Right, right. Well, so Thrive, you know, taking fundraising aside, right, because, you know, every organization has, a, you know, fundraising challenges, no doubt. But when you think about your challenges, what is the greatest challenge that you're grappling with right now, Kate, as, or organizationally? Well, I think it's hard to get people excited about doing this kind of organizing work. Oh, interesting. Why? Well, I think that, you know, people tend to think that they should give their charitable dollars to, you know, filling backpacks for kids. And I think that's super important, too. Obviously, we need to take care of people's urgent needs. But we really need to invest in the future of our community by bringing people together to have these important conversations that help us chart the path forward. So this year, for example, we convened a year-long conversation about the future of tourism, something that's so critical to preserving arts culture. It was a big lift. We brought together 34 highly diverse community leaders, everybody from tourism sector leaders, 
to community advocates, arts sector leaders, and local government to talk about the ways in which tourism was helping our community and also presenting challenges. But we spent a whole year learning, and that learning in some ways might be a little bit less sexy than you know, buying books for kids or, you know, some of the other things that make people feel maybe warm and fuzzy. But I think the work that we accomplish when we bring people together across sectors is just immensely worthwhile. That's fascinating. As I was pondering the work, uh, the important, critical, important work that you guys do, I wondered myself if perhaps one of your greatest challenges is time itself, right? Because the idea that the market moves fast, you know, money moves fast and, you know, and here you are trying to be thoughtful, right? <laughs> Which, and, and collaborative, you know, with different stakeholders, you know, a friend of mine who works in government, you know, he, he has a fun statement that says, you know, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, <laughs> right. The, the joke being right, that it's messy, right. Yeah. That it takes time yeah. that, you know, you were trying to find consensus yeah. and, and, or at least we want it, you know, that's the aspiration. Right. And so uh, do you feel like you're fighting the clock? That's a great identification of a real challenge that we face because people do want immediate results. And particularly because the rapid growth that's happening in Asheville, people do want to feel like things are changing right now. You know, even though so many people in our community are touched by tourism directly or indirectly, there's still this real ambivalence about whether tourism is helping or hurting. And the issue can feel really personal. You know, the leisure and hospitality sector are our county's top income generators. But when people feel like they're being squeezed out of their town and their quality of life is being compromised and they just lost their office space or their studio space, people get really upset and they want immediate solutions. But of course, figuring out how to help this you know, tourism sector, this giant economic engine, really benefit more of us and protect the things we care about, that takes a lot of time and thoughtfulness. So I was this year we convened these folks to learn about tourism and to try and really study what other communities are doing. And again, you know, there's a real desire for people to jump in and solve the problem. And we had to keep kind of saying to people, you know, let's just sit back for a second and try and learn what's happening in other places so that we can really, um, you know, avoid reinventing the wheel. What are other communities doing to protect artists, to protect vulnerable populations, and to ensure that tourism really helps all boats rise? It took us almost a whole year to have that conversation, and we're just getting started on the actions that the group endorsed as a result. Well, and it's such a daunting task, isn't it? Because, and in terms of just sort of a catch-22 as well, right? Because on a certain level... The principal goal, you know, whether implicit or or explicit, is this idea that you're trying to, in my view, as an outsider looking in, right, you're trying to preserve the culture of Asheville, right, as you grow, right? And it seems like, you know, tourism booms initially because people identify location, identify community, identify culture, and they say, wow, that's really cool. I want to go, I want to go visit that culture, right? And then as word spreads and tourism grows, the money follows and perhaps development follows. And then what ends up happening is almost a homogenization, right, of that town, 
of that city and suddenly you have all the same brands all the same stores that every other city has and that unique culture is lost somehow and and boy that's just a tragedy right that's a that's just a, a such a a sad thing. So, I mean, I sense that that must be uh, when you wake up every day and you think about what brought you to Asheville and why you've loved Asheville for 20 plus years, that's the uh, maybe a different way of framing the central challenge. Like, how do you manage tourism and growth without losing the special culture that makes Asheville, Asheville? Yeah, absolutely. And And what we learned from looking at communities across the country and really other places in the world is that you know, really the whole uh, discussion around tourism is really changing right now. In some ways, that's a result of COVID and kind of the big pause that was taken on tourism, but also because over-tourism is something that we really started to see happen in kind of the mid-2010s. So there's really been this kind of taking stock and what should be the role of tourism in communities. And one of the tourism experts that we invited to Asheville to really speak to this group said, you know, the historically we've thought about tourism really trying to have the place serve tourism, that, you know, the job was for Asheville to deliver a great experience for the tourism sector and its visitors. But now there's really this real shift to how much can tourism serve the place and that we need to determine whether or not and in what ways we can make sure that our visitors are really enhancing the quality of life for the people who actually live here. And doing that requires, again, you know, like that process of looking into the future and also looking into our hearts and saying, what do we really love about this place? And how can we ensure that, you know, while it's necessary to invite folks to our community, We know that it's critical, that tourism is a really important part of our economy. How do we do so in a way that really creates solutions for the people who live here? So if you did a random man on the street survey uh, there in downtown and you asked, you know, 100 people that 100 residents, you know, what makes Asheville special? What do you think the theme would be? What do you think people would say? Yeah, I think you'd get three answers. Um, In fact, I know you'd get three Mm -hmm. answers. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. I know so that people would tell you. You've done the research, yes. (laughs) Yeah, people would tell you that it's our natural resources and our access to outdoor recreation opportunities. It's our local business culture that is unique and you can't find anywhere else. And it's our arts and culture scene and the opportunity to come and interact directly with makers and creators and musicians. It's just unparalleled. And and it's just one of the things that really makes Asheville what it is. That's wonderful. You know, I would have guessed the first one and the third one, maybe. The second one about, you know, why the business culture there might be unique. Talk a little bit about that. Why is business in Asheville unique? Yeah, you know, it really is so special. And it's something that people will name. And It's kind of because that creative spirit that is expressed in the art sector also shows up in our local businesses. So many of our local businesses, for instance, are restaurants, you know, really led by really creative and out-of-the-box chefs and entrepreneurs who are delivering great products for our visitors and our residents alike. But it's also uh, great businesses that are providing you know, terrific experiences for residents and visitors that people really love. Um, Things like, 
you know, our downtown bus tour with, you know, vaudeville uh, comedians who will take you all over town. And then it's also just uh, local businesses that really reflect our desire to care for this place. So a lot of sustainable businesses. So, and I think that business community, like our arts community, is very involved in caring for this place. I mean, there's really an ethos that runs across this community and throughout this community about investing in where we are. And our local businesses pay their employees well. They do their best to be sustainable. And they're just critical community partners. I mean, almost everybody has someone on their block who owns a local business or who's an artist, <laughs> or who works in the outdoors. And so, you know, this is who we are, and it's why we care so much about this community. So I understand the Tourism Commission recently changed their granting structure to provide more funds to the community. Talk a little bit about that. I mean, is this a result of some of the work that you've been doing at Thrive? And, you know, what's going on there? Yeah, so tourism sector leaders, the CEO of our local tourism development authority and destination marketing organization was at the table with our ideas to action cohort this year, working on the future of tourism. And I think that the conversation surely had some impact, uh, but it wasn't just this process. It's really been a, a community-wide push to really ask the tourism sector to make a greater investment in our local community. Previously, you know, the occupancy tax that uh, visitors contribute to our economy, 75% of that went to marketing our destination, and only 25% of that revenue was really reinvested in our community. Thanks now to the legislation at the General Assembly, we'll be able to tap into a third of that revenue locally, and that can be reinvested in our community. And the lesser amount then of two thirds will be invested in marketing. And I think that's you know, reflective of this community's desire to ensure that we are not being over-touristed and over-visited and, and loved to death. Love to death. That's right. You're right. I mean, that, I mean, I don't mean to laugh, but like, that's it, yeah. right? I mean, you, we can be loved to death and then we don't want that. That's too much of a good thing. Yeah. When you talk about investing that money into the community, does that get to infrastructure? Like, does that get to roads and things like that? I mean, well, how does that money, like when you talk about investing that money into the local community, where will those investments be made and what investments will be made? I'm just curious. Well, that's a great question. That's one of the real points of contention about tourism locally is that the money that's reinvested in the community has been directed towards producing more tourism products, which are defined as experiences, capital improvements, festivals, all things that actually increase visitation to the community. So even though they do benefit residents, for instance, our local tourism development authority has invested a lot of occupancy tax money in our greenway that goes right through one of our most densely populated and really creative sectors where many artists are. So while we've had that investment in infrastructure, it has to really be accessible to visitors. And that's been a point of contention for the community. Community members would like to see investment in some of the necessary infrastructure that just helps our city continue to be a great place to live, like roads and sidewalks and adequate community safety measures. 
So that's something that I think the community still would like to see a little bit more um, shared responsibility with the tourism sector on and um, something that hasn't been resolved as of yet. You know, as the leader of Thrive, I know that you wear, I'm guessing, you wear multiple hats in a day, right? You have a team, everybody's, it's all hands on deck uh, a lot of times as, you know, you're trying to accomplish your goals and your objectives. But take us through a typical day for you. I'm just really curious what a average typical day looks like for Kate. <laughs> Okay. I don't know that I think it's going to be that interesting, <laughs> Scott. You can and, edit out. And, and, and that includes making breakfast for the kids. <laughs> you know, my job is really to meet with people almost all day long, mm -hmm. it feels like. Right now, I would say that um, I'm working in these two big buckets, kind of this urgent work around housing, where we're convening partners every single day about how we can develop more robust responses to our housing crisis. And that could include talking with landlords about how to accept housing choice vouchers so that families living in really our most desperate situations and in our deepest levels of poverty can actually access high opportunity neighborhoods and their children can thrive. So I could be talking with a landlord like I was this morning and then I might be talking with city officials about how a certain policy around development is either helping or hindering a developer. And then, you know, every day kind of trying to chip away at this really, this big conversation about how do we move the ball forward on this conversation around tourism. It's really so important to us right now to translate all of the learning that we did about the value that tourism can bring to our community into actions. So for instance, one of the actions we're working on is conducting an asset inventory of natural and cultural assets in our community. And um, so I have a working group meeting later today where some of those cohort members are coming together to talk about how to take the next step. So it's really a pleasure. It's a lot of meetings. <laughs> <laughs> well, and certainly you don't do it alone, right? You have a, an amazing a group of people around you that believe, as you do, in this important cause. Let's honor your team and, and talk about the special individuals that uh, make up Thrive and help you, you know, chip away at these important initiatives. Yeah, the Thrive is led by a really diverse group of leaders who represent the arts sector, business sector, planning, philanthropy. And it's really a, a group of very generous leaders who are committed to continuing to come around the table and try and identify both the challenges and the solutions. So I think a lot of nonprofits have boards that maybe rubber stamp or aren't fully engaged, but that's not what Thrive looks like at all. We really have fully engaged leaders who care so much. We also have a great team of housing advocates, people who are really, really deeply knowledgeable about the experiences that are happening to folks on the ground and are really helping us ensure that, you know, these aren't just lofty solutions, but that they're really making a difference for people in the community. And I think, you know, I, our government partners, our local government partners, our elected officials who are advocating for this strategy and this idea about working 
working together. We just recently were awarded significant funding from both the city and the county to continue our work. And that's because uh, they're really committed to this idea that the community has to work forward together. You know, I sort of glossed over the origin story. You know, I really want to go back and understand the months, weeks, days, hours that led up to the inspiration for you to start Thrive. And so take us back, right, to where you were and what you were seeing, what you were feeling and what led to the inspiration and the gumption to launch Thrive. Yeah, you know, Thrive was really the big idea of a group of community leaders, and I wasn't at the table, which I kind of love because it just shows that this idea is not held with one person, but is really the result mm. of of a lot of people's yes. thinking. And, you know, yes. what this group was noticing was that it felt like, again, this sense that like change was happening to the community and that the community lacked a shared vision of where it was going. Felt like Asheville was sort of losing its way in the rapid growth and change that was happening. They actually engaged someone, Kim McGuire, who Louisa... Shout out, yeah, Kim. Shout out to Kim. <laughs> she really... Um, conducted this really pivotal research where she talked with people from across the community and she identified that there were a couple themes that people had as concerns. One of them was equity and that as we were growing and changing, our inequities were increasing. That was something that was just shared in every conversation she had. The other one was that even though we have sort of a city plan, people don't really understand it and buy into it. And there isn't really a sense that we as a community have weighed in on where we want to go. And finally, the last theme, just, you know, despite all of our resources and talents, we're just not connecting these dots to get the big work done. We might be chipping away at the edges, but we're not really solving the big problems that prevent our community from being the place that we want it to be. So Kim did this fabulous research. She and some other leaders, Mac Pearsall, Jay Hackett, Jay Richardson, some of the other big names in our community kept sitting around the table and saying, what do we really want to do about that? And what they decided was to look also in other communities. How are other communities responding to these challenges? And they saw that there's often an organization like Thrive, a convener that brings people together and knits together these different parts of the community. And I was really lucky that that group of leaders came and, and asked me to enact their vision. Oh, that's great. So they recruited you. That's fantastic. They said, we need a special leader. And oh, wait, there's Kate. She's special. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's so true, right? And what you said, it's so important to have multiple people that share that vision and share that mission and share responsibility for driving the organization forward. You know, I think we all have over the years seen, you know, certain organizations suffer because of the founder being, you know, maybe too prominent or, or you know, they haven't delegated, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and so it's in that could that could help. I mean, that could mitigate uh, sustainability. So it's wonderful that obviously Thrive has this legacy and this heritage and this family of folks who share this vision and commitment to this important work. Because 
You know, it is, you know, I've only been in all candor. I've only been to Asheville once. Shame on mm-hmm. me. It was yeah, recently. Uh, I was there about, uh, what was it, a year, year ago, I guess. Man, what a special place. I just fell in love with it like so many people do. And, of course, so much of it is about, you know, the landscape and the natural beauty. But then, of course, ultimately, it's about the people. And, you know, you come into Asheville and... Everyone is so, you know, so generous and creative and and friendly and open. And, you know, the vibe, if you will, the energy is palpable and and really unique. And that it's precious, right? And it's in so preserving and conserving, you know, that sort of unique proprietary culture is just essential. And I think anybody that's read a little bit of history, I mean, you know, we know time and time again that there are civilizations even lost, you know, and so the work that you guys do to, to preserve the unique character of Asheville, it's uh, as someone might say, God's work. So <laughs> Godspeed, <laughs> you commit yourself to doing that. What else should we know about thrive? What else should we know about your work? You know, I just want to make sure that we take the time to give you the opportunity to say whatever it is you feel needs to be said. Well, I think one of the things that is so critical to our work going forward uh, in tourism is that we continue to really invite people to the table, regardless of where they stand on the issue right now. And that it's been a divisive issue in our community, but it's one that we think by really finding common ground and engaging around our shared love of this place and our concern for losing the things that we treasure, we can really help people find that common ground. One of the people who I think was such a valuable part of our cohort and is going to help lead the work going forward is Katie Cornell, who's the executive director of the Asheville Area Arts Council. And in our last session with this cohort of leaders on sustainable tourism, there was kind of this kind of a a moment that was a hard conversation. We were talking about how to go forward And someone who owned a hotel said, you know, I feel like we get the blame for a lot of the bad things that happen, but we're the tourism sector and we're the ones who are bringing all this money to Asheville. And what I love is that what Katie said is we're all responsible for bringing tourists here. I represent the art sector and we're making an incredible contribution to attracting tourists. So we all have a stake in this conversation. It's not just the hoteliers. It's not just the outdoor recreation folks. It's not just the Biltmore. But really, everyone has a stake in this conversation. So I really appreciate Katie for that and for pointing out that for too long, it's kind of been kind of a little bit of a finger pointing in our community. Like, oh, those people over there, those hoteliers or that restaurateur, those are the people who are responsible for tourists. And I think her point is that really we're all together attracting people to our community and we all have a stake in figuring it out. That's such an poignant, important example of how your work you know, the importance of your work and the nature of your work and and also how, you know, we all have our bias, right? And part of what you're navigating and trying to 
reconcile is, you know, everybody's sort of, you know, bias, whether they realize it or not. <laughs> right. And so that's a wonderful example. And thank you for sharing that. You know, one of the things that, you know, when I came, I mentioned that I visited Asheville a year ago or so, and, you know, I was so impressed with, with just everything. But one of the areas that really, of course, resonated with me was the River Arts District. Right. And, you know, as you talk about, you know, supporting artists and connecting with arts community, we can't not mention, right, the River Arts District. And, you know, I know there's so much going on there in terms of, you know, development and, and traffic issues and just, you know, all kinds of things. I mean, can can we talk a little bit about what Thrive is doing, maybe more specifically with the stakeholders in and around River Arts District? Yeah, and you know, the River Arts District is just a it's a treasure in our community. But it's really interesting how it's changed too. When I first moved here twenty years ago, the River Arts District was, you know, rundown factories that where artists could have working studio space for almost nothing. One of the buildings that's now being turned into a hotel used to house studios for tens of artists really inexpensively. So as the River Arts District has become a fabulous destination, some of the space where artists really counted on being able to produce their work has disappeared. Again, so the benefits and the trade-offs of this kind of growth. But many artists will also say, you know, artists who have been able to retain their studio space have really experienced, a, you know, this huge boom as a result of increased tourism. You know, some of our prominent artists have said to me, you know, I can't make it just based on what locals alone would purchase. I need tourists to come and, you know, help my products and, uh, you know, sell and to buy what I'm producing here in the River Arts District. So we need tourists in the River Arts District and we need to figure out how to stabilize and create opportunities so that more artists have opportunities to continue to, to really flourish. One of the other challenges of the River Arts District is figuring out how to get people there. And this goes back to kind of that conversation about how tourism is a challenge that needs to be approached in a really integrated way. How can we effectively move visitors from downtown to the River Arts District and then back again without having everyone get in their cars? You know, unlike some other communities where people arrive and they maybe go to one downtown destination and maybe they go out to one natural area. What we'd like to see in Asheville is we'd like to see our visitors moving all throughout our city and our county, finding artists wherever they're making all throughout. But that will require that we really plan for that. And we plan for that with great transportation we plan for that with great promotion for artists throughout the community and that we make sure that places like the River Arts District don't get overrun by, you know, making sure that there's lots of opportunities to see artists in lots of different places. Fantastic. Well, Kate Pat, I am so grateful for your time today. You have been so generous to come on and share with our audience here at Artsville, you know, the important work that Thrive is doing, that you and your team are doing, you and all of your stakeholders 
it's rewarding, but frustrating and challenging and time consuming. And, uh, you know, you probably have a lot of sleepless nights, <laughs> but I am uh, so grateful that in spite of all that's going on, you took time out of your busy schedule to come and, and share this important story with us. And any party thoughts, by the way, I will say first, number one, where can people donate? What's your website? Because obviously every organization needs patrons to support the important work. So let's take two seconds here to make sure that people point people in the right direction in terms of where people can find you online and how people can support your work. Yeah, thanks. We'd love for people to come check us out at www.thriveashville.org. We'd love people to go there and follow our work this year on sustainable tourism. So as a result of all the work and learning we did last year, we'll be releasing a big report of that work in September. We'll also be offering opportunities for the community to be engaged and provide their feedback and input on the ideas that we'll be looking at this year. So people can sign up for our newsletter They can read and watch videos about what we're learning around sustainable tourism. And then ultimately, we hope that people will really join us in supporting those new ideas when it comes time to really try and create new policies around tourism and around protecting what we love when we get to that part of the process about this time next year. So, and we particularly hope that artists will join us because we know that, you know, as we're conducting this asset inventory of our cultural assets, it's going to be so critical that we have the input of our makers and our creatives to to help us identify what really matters. People can also donate while they're there, and we sure welcome that. And we just invite the community to engage with us uh, in lots of different ways. All right, people, you heard it here at Artsville. Get busy, support this important work. Kate Pat, you're awesome. Thank you so much for coming through and sharing with us today. And I know you've got multiple meetings coming up today. We've already established that (laughs) there are many things happening in your day. And so we don't want to keep you from that important work. But uh, thanks so much for coming on. It's been such a pleasure. And I just appreciate the work of Artsville in lifting up the important stories of our makers and our creatives, because it's one of the things I love about Asheville more than anything else. Well, thanks for that. And we'll keep doing our work and you keep doing yours. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Artsville podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review and share it with your friends on social. Also remember to subscribe. So you get all of our new episodes. Artsville is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles in partnership with Sand Hill Artist Collective in Asheville, North Carolina. Our theme music was created by Dan Ubik and his team at Danube Productions. Artsville is edited by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Artsville. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating American contemporary arts and crafts from Asheville and beyond. Artsville, Artsville, the happening town where art abounds. Artsville, Artsville, from Asheville town where art abounds. Artsville, Artsville, feeling mountain high and inspired in North Carolina. That's where you'll find us, amazing artists and designers. Oh yeah. Artsville.
Yeah.